one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Connor Pope. This is In The News, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, why is the Democratic Unionist Party tearing itself apart? In the first six months of 2021, there hasn't been much let-up in Northern Irish politics. These ferries have become the flashpoint for the UK's first battle with the EU post-Brexit. The year began with the introduction of the Northern Ireland Protocol. The checks on some goods coming into Northern Ireland from Britain are frustrating some businesses, but they're also firing up a unionist sense of grievance and abandonment. Anger was already simmering when the EU suddenly said it would suspend part of the protocol itself because of a row over vaccine exports. This is an incredibly hostile and aggressive act by the European Union bloc. The EU dropped that plan. Mistakes were made in the process leading up to the decision. But by then the damage was done. The DUP launched a campaign to have the protocol scrapped. The damage that has been done by this protocol far outweighs uh, any benefit. Now more fuel on the fire. In March and April, anger over the protocol was blamed for the worst rioting Northern Ireland has seen for many years. Then Arlene Foster was ousted as the leader of the Democratic Unionist Party. That means she'll soon be replaced as the First Minister of the Northern Ireland Executive. It has been the privilege of my life to serve the people of Northern Ireland as their First Minister. In a close vote, the party elected a new leader, Edwin Poots. It is an immense honour and pleasure to stand here today in this position. It's not a position that I expected to be in uh, some weeks ago. Uh, However, uh, things can change quite radically. Freya McClements is Northern correspondent with the Irish Times. Freya, it's been a difficult period for Northern Ireland in many respects. Could you sum up the mood there right now? The word that I would choose to sum it up would just be uncertainty. There's so much in flux at the moment, you know, a huge amount of change in unionism. And obviously that's most evident in the DUP. But then there's also the opposition within unionism and loyalism to the Northern Ireland Protocol. You know, we've seen how that spilled over onto street protests already this year. We don't know how that might play out uh, over the summer months. And in general, you know, whenever you get uncertainty in Northern Ireland politics, you start to get concern over the sustainability of the institutions and and over power sharing. And I think that's where we are at the moment. Why did the DUP get rid of Arlene Foster in the first place? 
this goes back a good way. This had been building. Some people will tell you that this went all the way back to her role in the botched green energy scheme and the fallout, which then led to the collapse of Stormont in 2017. But I mean, in terms of the general factors, there's this increasing sense of disconnect between the party and the grassroots. Add into that then the unionist and loyalist anger over the protocol, which has really been been building since, since the beginning of the year. Now, ostensibly, the straw that broke the camel's back was around a bill in the Assembly in Northern Ireland banning gay conversion therapy that was opposed by the DUP, but Arlene Foster abstained. Add to that a sense that Arlene Foster was weak on the protocol. But I mean, the reality is that the politics is, is all about elections and about winning them. And the impetus for the push really came with, with, with a, a series of polling numbers that were really disturbing for the DUP, spooked the DUP. It put them on only 19% down by four. And the two parties that had risen were the traditional unionist voice on, on the right and the, the moderate alliance in the middle. And they're the two parties that, if you like, are taking the votes from, from the DUP either side. So they, they were spooked. And this was the impetus for that push. And I mean, as one DUP former SPAD, Tim Cairns, put it to me, you know, this really comes down to would you rather be standing on a doorstep seeking re-election with Arlene Foster as your leader uh, or with Edwin Putz? And and, and they they decided clearly to throw their hat into the ring with Edwin Putz and felt that that gives them a better chance in the election, which is coming, which has to take place by May next year. Of course, they did have another choice to make and they could have chosen Jeffrey Donaldson. Because for the first time, I think, in the DUP's history, there was an election, a leadership election. What did the party's decision to choose Edwin Poots over Geoffrey Donaldson say about it? You're right. This isn't the way the DUP do things. You know, they're a party that's been around for 50 years. They've never had a leadership election. You know, previous leaders have been appointed and there's only been three of them. Edwin Putz is, is only the fourth. But the really important thing to remember here is that this wasn't a clear cut decision. It went 1917 in favour of Edwin Putz. So that was a knife edge, you know, had it been any closer, they would have had to do it all again. So that really shows that there's no clear direction here. And w- one of the, the big questions facing Edwin Putz now is how he heals those divisions. And I mean, really acrimonious divisions, it has to be said. In terms of the direction of the party and what this says about where the party's going, you know, this contest was sort of billed in the media as the religious hardliner Putz versus the more moderate Donaldson. It's important to bear in mind that this is really only within the context of the DUP that Jeffrey Donaldson would be seen as, as more moderate. You know, it's a bit like a question between sort of right wing or slightly less right wing. The reality is the policies are pretty similar. You know, both have pledged to scrap the Northern Ireland Protocol. So why then did a majority choose Poots? It came down to personalities, you know, puts as an MLA, as based in the Assembly rather than in Westminster. Geoffrey Donaldson is an MP um, had had a stronger base among the M- MLAs and MPs who, who voted. You know, and again, it's back to that question of who you think is most likely to get you reelected. And I think there's an assumption in terms of the direction the party wants to take. There's an assumption that Edwin Putz will take it more more to the right. And I think that remains to be seen. I mean, certainly in terms of his rhetoric, he's more hardline, but how that will play out in terms of actual policies, I think remains to be seen if there would be that distinction there. And I suppose a question that a lot of people would be asking south of the borders, who is Edwin Putz? Yeah, well, you know, he's a name that would be much better known on this side of the border. He's a long-standing MLA. He's Minister for Agriculture and he's been pretty high profile in that in in terms of the Irish sea border checks post-Brexit. And he, he tried to take legal action to get that stopped. But he's also held 
other ministerial portfolios before this. So, I mean, he's certainly somebody with a lot of experience. The, the aspects of his background, if you like, that, that have tended to hit the headlines have been about his religious views. He, he's he's very certainly on that traditional religious Paisleyite wing. You know, he's a creationist. He believes that the earth was created 6,000 years ago. And, and these beliefs have influenced his stance politically. I mean, he he tried to maintain a ban on gay men giving blood after this had been lifted in the rest of the UK, um, although eventually accepted that when his, his legal challenge failed. Um, and he also opposed same-sex couples being allowed to adopt children. But, you know, Edwin Putz is also a pragmatist, you know, again, as was shown over his his attempt to to stop the construction of, of border infrastructure um, in the ports, you know, the legal challenge, he was told that had to go ahead legally, you know, again, around the gay blood ban, you know, so, you know, he, he will do what's, what's need to be done even if it doesn't necessarily um, sit in accordance with his own um, beliefs. But I suppose one of the ways that we would be looking at it in this part of the world is that this is a man who believes in, as you say, creationism, and he believes that gay conversion therapy is a legitimate thing. Whatever about the DUP, can somebody like that bring Northern Ireland together? Can somebody like that effectively lead Northern Ireland? Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's a huge question. And again, I, I talked um, a little bit earlier about poll numbers. And um, one of the big challenges facing the DUP is where it goes from here in terms of the next election. I mean, at the minute it holds the first minister position. It is the largest party in, in unionism. But I talked about the, the poll numbers that so spooked them back in February. I mean, the more recent set of poll numbers are, are even worse. You know, I mean, I mean, going by these figures, and the, these were from the end of May, you know, Sinn Féin will be the largest party and, and will hold the first minister position next year. You know, they're on 25% the DUP on 16%, the Alliance Party on 16%, the Austrian Unionist Party on 14%, you know, so that doesn't actually, going by those numbers, it doesn't even guarantee that the DUP might be the second largest party. A huge, a huge part of this hemorrhaging of votes away from the DUP we've seen in recent years, it's been a vote that's been going pretty much directly to Alliance. And it's because more liberal, certainly younger voters who are from maybe a more traditional unionist background just don't feel that the DUP represents them uh, in, in terms of you know, it, its position on same-sex marriage in terms of, you know, the extension of abortion services to Northern Ireland. And, and I think, you know, that that's one of the really big questions that Edwin Putz is going to have to grapple with as leader because, you know, there's a tendency within unionism when they feel under threat is to sort of circle the wagons, is to go back to the grassroots, you know, to, to say, you know, we'll stand stronger, we'll stand firmer on, on the union, you know, you know, uh, no surrender, if you like. Um, and there's this concern in the DUP about votes going to the traditional unionist voice, which is an even more um, hardline unionist party, you know, that, that that's actually not what they need to be worrying about. They need to be worrying about the voters that are going to those more moderate centre ground parties, because ultimately, you know, if you're a unionist party and your raison d'etre is to preserve the union, you know, then that is where that battle is going to be won and lost. We talked about the very close uh, run election, 17-19. Jeffrey Donaldson lost out ultimately. And then at Edwin Poots' inauguration, Jeffrey Donaldson and Arlene Foster and some other really key members of the DUP walked out of the meeting before Edwin Poots spoke. Is that significant? And what impact could that have long term on the DUP? It depends who you listen to, you know, 
were they making a point, um, making their opposition felt? Edwin puts his supporters and said, well, they were just tired. It was a long meeting. The meeting was over. They, they were going home. I mean, certainly Arlene Foster was very defiant on the way out and sort of flicking the V sign at reporters. You know, it didn't suggest somebody who was um, particularly tired, you know. But Jeffrey Donaldson has talked since, you know, about what we need now is for unionism to come together. And I think much of what happens next depends on how successfully they, they do that. And I suppose... You know, behind all this will be the rallying cry of the next election. You know, whatever our internal differences, we need to unite together or else there's going to be a Sinn Féin first minister. You know, and and that's the reality of how this this next election will be fought. That will be the rallying cry that is put forward. And it's very notable that that Edwin puts in his um, maiden speech as leader at that party executive meeting, uh, the one that Arlene Foster and and everybody else missed. You know, he talked about, you know, the fight for the next election has already already begun. You know, so he's very much in, in that mode. And he will hope, you know, to bring not just the party members, but to bring all that, th- th- those voters with him. Last week, Edwin Poots came to Dublin to meet the Taoiseach. He also appeared on Primetime, where he said North-South relations had never been so bad. Since, since we've had the Belfast Agreement and all of that, that is a period that I'm referring to, that relationships have never been as bad. And I don't think anyone could argue that's the case. But he said it wasn't Micheál Martin's fault. He blamed the former Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and the former Taunashta Simon Coveney. Leo Varadkar took photographs over to the European Union of um, a a border post that was destroyed, I think, in the 1970s and said this is what could happen. Whenever a young man um, from the Loyalist community uh, actually stated there could be violence if the protocol doesn't go away, he was slated uh, by the media. But the Prime Minister of Ireland done exactly the same thing and it is shameful that he used that type of messaging. It's a fairly widespread view within loyalism. What they're talking about is they're talking about when Leo Varadkar went to to Brussels and he showed and it was actually an Irish Times front page and and it had it had a picture of a customs post that had been blown up during the troubles and and he sort of said we've seen this on the island of Ireland you know we know what a hard border camp can be like. Uh, in relation to using, using the front page of the Irish Times, I, I sort of read that on the way over and uh, I just thought it was a useful prop really to demonstrate to all of the European leaders the extent to which um, the concerns about uh, the re-emergence of a hard border uh, and the possibility of a return to violence um, are very real. You know, this was a front page of an Irish newspaper published yesterday um, interviewing uh, family members, uh, the daughter of somebody who was killed at a customs post. Uh, on the border between Northern Ireland and Ireland back in the 1970s. And that is what used to happen when we had customs posts in Ireland. Uh, And I just wanted to make sure that um, there was no sense in the room that in any way uh, anybody in Ireland or in the Irish government was anyhow exaggerating uh, the real risk uh, of a return to violence in Ireland. Really, particularly since the protocol came, came into effect, you know, this has been represented as a threat, you know, that the Irish government went to Brussels and threatened violence and they got their own their own way sort of thing. And and that's clearly not what happened, but it's it's revelatory of just I think the extent to which there is 
anger, certainly over the protocol, um, you know, particularly within loyalism, people don't feel that they're being listened to. And there's a sense that there's double standards, you know, they, they feel that they get condemned when they sort of talk about the potential for violence or the, you know, you know, the, the anger felt by people. But yet the, the Irish government got away with this. You know, there, there's this sense always that there, there isn't a, a level playing field. But I think it, it really just it just plays into, you know, community relations in Northern Ireland are really finely balanced and this was one of the things that the Belfast Agreement achieved you know and it doesn't take a huge amount to to upset that and um, I mean what I've witnessed since the protocol came into effect things are just things are just a lot a lot more fraught than they were and I mean you know in a sense that's unsurprising because you know we had all of this that was so carefully negotiated and these you know, huge, huge changes have just come in and, and kind of swept that all away with really without much, much thought, you know. Coming up, political journalist Sam McBride on why DUP councillors are quitting the party and whether Edwin Poots can heal divisions in time for the next Stormont election. 
post uh, Brexit in the in the first instance. Um, they, in many cases, saw that as something that was simply stating what may become a regrettable reality. But I think that as this year has gone on, as people have begun to realise the significance of what the Irish sea border actually means, that is gaining traction um, in a way which um, prior to this year it didn't. Up until the, the start of January, this was a pretty esoteric concept. It was about bureaucracy. It was about form-filling customs. The sort of thing that no remotely normal person takes very much interest in. Suddenly when people started seeing things not turning up on the shelves of Tesco or Sainsbury's or wherever they shopped when they weren't getting things delivered from retailers in Great Britain, etc, etc. Then they started to look around and think, well, hang on a minute, how did we get here? Who let this happen? And that, I think, is really the genesis of where that particular argument has come from in more recent times. And does it give Poots some wiggle room to blame the former Taoiseach rather than to lay the blame squarely at the door of the current Taoiseach? Or is that part of his thinking at all? Well, I think it clearly is part of his thinking. I mean, it was unmistakable that, as you say, when, when he went to Dublin at the end of last week, he was really laying all of the blame at the feet of Leo Varadkar. And by by contrast, Michal Martin was someone who he was pretty much absolving of blame. So even though there was not, I think it's fair to say, any great gulf among most of the Irish political parties, um, even Sinn Féin, I think for the most part, endorsed the broad parameters of the um, Irish government's strategy strategy over how it handled Brexit and the, the protocol negotiations. Very much what Edwin Putz has been trying to do is say, look, that was all the fault of Leo Varadkar, but we've got this new guy here and I'm going to deal with him and I'm going to try to strike a bargain with him effectively. That is something which I think hints at the pragmatism of Edwin Putz. He has this very hard line image. He plays up that uh, that particular aspect of how he's perceived. It suits him to be perceived in that way because his predecessor was seen by many DUP supporters as being too acquiescent in um, what other people wanted her to do. She was too weak. She was somebody who couldn't stop the Irish sea border coming and couldn't stop all sorts of other things coming which DUP supporters didn't like. But actually beneath that, this is somebody who works the system, who gets on with Sinn Féin, who gets things done, who strikes deals in back rooms, maybe comes out and beats his chest a bit about it. But I think that we saw in what happened on Friday um, in Dublin and really a, 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 a pretty clear hint as to where Edwin Putz is likely to go with this. Talking very tough, but actually behind the scenes trying to strike a bargain. Of course, we've heard from Freya that there's acrimony within the party and there have been accusations that those who don't support Poots are being purged from senior party positions. And then others have left saying there's been bullying and sexism. Can you quickly recap who has quit the party in recent days and what they've been saying about why they left? Well, there really is complete chaos in the DUP. Normally, when a when a, a leader of a new political party comes in, they have something of a honeymoon period where everything is new, everything is glittery and shiny. They've got all sorts of grand ideas for where they're going to take their party. Edwin Putz has come into the opposite of that. He has come into a nightmarish situation where very senior figures like Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, the person that he defeated for the leadership, very narrowly defeated him by one vote. Um, he is he is speaking out and saying um, not that. 
that he enthusiastically supports the person who, who has um, won the top job, but that he is saying Edwin Putz needs to change his ways. He needs to um, be more um, willing to reach out to other people. He needs to um, be trying to create in, in, the, in the DUP something of a broad church that can um, straddle liberal unionism and hardline unionism and everything in between, and not where he fears this is going um, in a much more insular, Paisley-eyed, old-school DUP direction. So that really came to a head at the weekend where the South Down Association of the DUP had its annual general meeting. A really an incredibly low-key affair, only 15 people in the room, a tiny um, number of party members in what is what has never been a mass membership um, um, party in Northern Ireland. And yet that led to two councillors, um, Catherine Owen and Glyn Hanna, resigning from the party. That led to a former Westminster candidate, who is the daughter of one of those councillors, resigning. And allegations that at the ratification meeting where Edwin Putz was confirmed by the DUP's ruling party executive to be the leader of the DUP, that there was intimidation that senior members of his team were telling people to put their hands down when there was an open vote. They were changing votes and based on that, leaning on people, if you like, in a very public fashion to alter how they were voting. And those people agreed to that. And the allegation that some of those people agreed to that because there's money riding it on, 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 on it for them, that really their careers were on the line here. I sit there, to be quite honest with you, is this party becoming the undemocratic party? You know, to be quite honest with you, there was another senior member at that there, and he told us pretty much, sir, uh, shut up, ratify uh, uh, the new leadership, and move on. That's not the way you work in a democratic party. It's a pretty unseemly picture here, and this is the situation that, that Edwin Putz inherits at home. And meanwhile, further from home, as we've been saying, the protocol is, you know, something which is a much, much bigger issue for him to grapple with. The DUP needs to win to stop Sinn Féin taking over the position of First Minister in the upcoming uh, Assembly elections. And they need to win to retain their dominant position within unionism. So do you reckon that all this infighting and all this bitter acrimony will just end up blowing over as that election comes closer? Or do you reckon the problems run so deep that the party is irrevocably damaged? If you'd asked me that question three weeks ago, I would have said yes. I think that there is a certain imperative now for the DUP to come together and set aside these differences because, frankly, um, they have good jobs riding on this. MLAs are going to be out of work. Um, some of them employ their family members or their friends in their constituency offices. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to go around. There's a lot of money to go around. There's a lot of patronage and power to go around. But there's also some, there's also something much grander at stake here. There is the future of the union. Union. There is the future of the Irish Sea border. If, if unionism can manage to get a, a, a slim majority in next year's um, Stormont election, then they at least have the possibility of voting that down in 2024 when it comes to the Assembly for a vote. Um, that, that is all suddenly looking much more difficult. The longer that this goes on, the more vicious it becomes. There is still no sense whatsoever that we're even heading back in the direction of some sort of um, uh, rapprochement between the two sides here. Actually, they're still heading in opposite directions. The party is shrinking at the moment. They are losing members. Um, and the acrimony here, I think, the longer that it goes on, the harder it becomes to heal. It also becomes more difficult, I think, for voters who are now less than a year away from the storm of elections to unsee what they have seen. They have seen how these people treat each other. 
They have seen how these people think of each other. They have seen how this new this new leader of the DUP is somebody who, even among his party colleagues, is clearly despised, is loathed, is somebody who is accused of all sorts of outrageous things and things which are not terribly flattering um, from Edwin Poot's perspective when he goes before voters as the leader of the DUP. That is going to be a massive problem. And last week, um, the former DUP leader, the former First Minister, Peter Robinson, um, was very, very harshly critical of Edwin Poots, but he, he ended his comments by saying, actually, the party needs to now basically set all that aside and rally round him because those people who want to topple him um, are going to so destabilise the party that if they ever actually get to take over from him, there might not be much left to lead. And that, I think, is the problem that faces those people right now. Thank you, Sam. On Tuesday afternoon, Edwin Poots announced that his DUP colleague and former assistant Paul Given would be appointed First Minister, a role he takes over from Arlene Foster. Okay, thank you. Good afternoon. Can I first thank Edwin and Paula and my colleagues for their support in taking up this very important role. I want to pay tribute to those of whom I'm following. Dr Paisley, who founded this party as First Minister, Peter Robinson and of course Arlene Foster. These are giants of unionism, giants within our party, and it's a huge task to follow those individuals. But I look forward to the challenge ahead. In the news, we'll be back on Monday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 